0: Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie.
1: And I'm Hannah and we're two 20-somethings reading our favourite childhood book, but this time with added alcohol and cynicism.
0: Today's episode, we're chatting about chapter 29 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince.
1: So grab your favourite Taylor Swift-themed cocktail and join us on this drunken, reminiscent journey.
0: Hello. I'm holding a spoon. We're starting with the drinks today, which we don't normally do, but it's because time is off the essence.
1: Charlie's very anxious about this. It's going to turn... She kept being like, get in the room, get in the room. (laughs) It's going to turn purple. Okay,
0: we're doing Taylor Swift themed themed drinks. Do you want me to read out the entire message after the drink? After. Okay, fine. Mine is uh, Cherry Lips Crystal Skies. Um, But I think it is just going to go purple. So I've done a frozen... I'll do the exact thing after. Frozen cherry... With, a crystal Skies. I'm gonna try and make it not just immediately go purple. We shall see. Hold it up.
1: I don't know what's happening.
0: So I think doing the spoon helps it not... It's too... Oh, no, it's not coming out. It's too frozen. <laughs> it's not coming
1: out! <laughs> oh, God. No, careful! Stuff. It's, it's going so well. Um, oh, oh. Oh. Uh, oh. Uh, uh. Looks like the West Ham colors. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Football Heart.
0: Oh, I've lost my spoon. Oh no! Everything's gone wrong. Ah! No, 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 no. no, no. Woo. Drink it. No! Oh. Drink it all back in the thing.
1: My hand.
0: <laughs> oh, oh no, I have to wash it. It's so sticky. No, no. I should be a professional barista. So this is Cherry lips, crystal skies. It's beautiful. Yeah, I specifically told Hannah I needed straws, and the vile wench sh- got me no straws. Okay, so specifically, the red side of it is frozen cherries, frozen Coca Cola, fro uh, not frozen rum, lime juice, and crushed ice. And the blue is ice vodka, blue Curacao, and lemonade. Might taste disgusting, and it will definitely end up
1: purple. But um, my room—this room is gonna get so sticky. Mm. It tastes like a slushy. I mean, it basically is. is.
0: I don't know what drink I'm tasting. I feel like the blue doesn't taste of much because I didn't... It was a lot of ice to try and get it to the right consistency that it wouldn't just merge with the red. And I didn't taste test it. So I think the drink will get nicer once we're past the blue.
1: How exciting. So what's the blue? I wasn't listening. It's essentially a blue lagoon. It's
0: ice vodka blue, 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 blue curacao and lemonade nice this is very refreshing I it's very
1: say. refreshing but um this this is the West Ham colours
0: no it's Cherry Lips Crystal Skies
1: it also almost looks like Boppenheimer nails <laughs> <laughs> so this is a request from our produce level patron Meg Meg says, despite being someone who listens to an alcohol-related podcast, I am vastly uneducated on this topic. So this is a choose-your-own-adventure type request. Can you each please choose a Taylor Swift song? So you haven't actually said what your song is. You've only said the lyric. thanks space. thanks space. And create a cocktail that matches the vibe of that song. It could be your favourite Taylor songs or just one that inspire you to create something fun. What a great request. Thank you, Meg. So yeah, you came up with this and I'll do mine halfway through because this is made of ice so it has to be done first we've done things so out of order i don't know where to go next how are you oh the it... cherry bits nice i just got a bit of cherry i'm finding it difficult to drink this drink i really wish i'd i really wish in that pub we were just in i'd remembered to steal some straws <sighs> i did i did tell you like tuesday mm, yeah you did and i chose to not write down the bit that said straws
0: this is a clear attempt to sabotage i think we can agree i might make the poll whose drink seemed the nicest and when you guys vote i want you to take into consideration the blatant attempt to sabotage
1: that has gone on here i actually was trying to wash a straw for you but you told me to stop and get in this room because it was frozen and i didn't want it to turn purple do you want to go and carry on cleaning your straw no how are you i'm fine thanks i have nothing to report since we last recorded i don't think we, we saw Barbie Oppie yesterday. We saw Barbie Oppie yesterday. Barbie was incredible. Oppenheimer was also good, but obviously Barbie is the superior film.
0: Yes, genuinely. It was fucking fantastic. It was like, brilliant. I don't think I've scream laughed like
1: that at a film in fuck knows how long. I like, fully cry laughed at one yeah, point. Like genuinely. fully, not just like a tear, like sobbing, couldn't watch the next scene probably because I had cry laughed so much. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I went to France. Mm -hmm. i came back from france i went to your house in suffolk
0: Mm -hmm. we had a lovely time we went on a tiny boat we did go on a tiny boat yep yep i'm much the same i did all the same things as her because you know you didn't come to france oh no you don't like the french i actually did come to france and i followed you around the entire time just in a moustache oh good lord with a baguette
1: with a baguette right you know that thing where it's like oh it's stereotypical that french people carry a baguette around they don't really do that At least seven times a day, I saw people walking along with a baguette under their arm. I was like, this is not stereotypical. The French are walking around with baguettes under their arm.
0: That was me. How are you? Same old, same old. Oh, we're we're testing some new equipment. We got a new mixing desk. I think it looks less technical than the last one because it has a big coloured button. It's so colourful. We will insert a photo here over Hannah's face. She says...
1: Why would I do that when I'm editing? I'm going to put it over your face. I'm Please, going to put it over your Don't, don't touch my lips. <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently more technical than the other one,
0: but I think it looks like a giant toy. It's really sexy. It's got colourful lights. It's got presets for microphones. And we can actually... Because our last one was like slightly broken, so we could only record onto one track, which meant that Hannah's death breathing just had to remain. And now we
1: can cut out <sighs> Hannah's i can cut that out when it's going over charlie's audio exactly what does the red button do what does the yellow button do what does the orange button do what does the green button do what did that do hang
0: on did that actually we don't have the headphones then so i can't tell if this is just doing endless sound effects that i can't pick up on let me see if i can oh no i'd have to like oh actually okay but then
1: Did that do it? Well oh, it's good, sound wave. Oh no, that's the same as me talking. It's me. Hi. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> just let it play through.
0: I really hope that there is a seg uh, just a just loads of sound effects. But anyway, once we actually set it up, we can have sound effects if we want. Anyways, uh, what else do we
1: normally do? Patrons? A leprechaun size thank you to Lisanne. An atomic bomb size thank you to Adriana. A polka dot size thank you to
0: Dottie D. A Voldemort size thank you to Vendy. A President Kennedy size thank you to Heaven Kennedy. An Estonia size thank you to Esme.
1: Thank you all for joining the Patreon we just recorded an episode that we call bad advice, but it was mostly good advice. Apart from when someone asked us how to hide a body. Um, which I'm not sure you can ever be given... Be give, gi- gi- I'm not sure you can ever give good advice to the question, how do you hide a body? I mean...
0: I'm glad we can't. I'm sure someone can, but I would be concerned. It would also be very dumb of us if we could, if yeah. we actually did you know maybe we do know perfectly how to hide a body but it would not be wise for us to advertise the fact that we know that questions a few episodes we asked who would your harry potter fan cast be uh some little shit replied one man show neil is everyone please stop contributing to this man's ego
1: Someone said Timothy Chalamet. Yes, he's American. Sorry, as young Tom Riddle. Please stop casting Timothy Chalamet in things. I really dislike him. Have Same. You? I don't get why everyone's obsessed with him. No, I really don't get I the Timothy Chalamet hype. I
0: really, really don't. (laughs)
1: are you reading (laughs) by Hannah (laughs) Braggins you can't tell the difference even when we're on video come on someone said
0: not an answer but was listening to Hannah talk only to look at the video and see it was Charlie can one of you develop an accent please I've been failing for years now and I'm never gonna get it you're better at accents than me oh
1: hi the new (laughs) I'm not developing an accent I can't believe you can't get it even with video someone says your mum I know the classic is Ben Barnes as serious, but I headcan serious as gender fluid person. So 100% my fanciest serious would be some kind of gender queer actor. That's fun. I know
0: not a single actor. I live under a rock. Mood. Mood.
1: Yeah, because I'm reading through this and I'm like, can't read that. I don't know who it is. Can't read that. I don't know who it is someone else says ben barnes is serious classic but ben barnes is relatively young serious richard madden as james potter for some reason i dislike richard madden ben i love richard madden ben barnes is serious and andrew garfield is remus louis partridge is harry don't know who that is those are some great responses you're still flicking i just don't i i feel the mood of i know not a single actor i live under a rock Mm. because i don't know who half these people are yeah everyone always says ben barnes and i'm like i don't I know who it is because people say it all the time, but I don't actually know what he's been in. Chapter 29. The Phoenix Lament. My first note was, Harry doesn't want to leave Dumbly's
0: body-oddy-oddy.
1: Body-oddy-oddy.
0: Body-oddy-oddy.
1: Oi, oi, oi. My first one was, yeah, Ginny... So Ginny manages to get him to leave, which raised two questions. One, how does Ginny know to go out there? How does she know Harry's there? No one else knew. And two... I'm so glad we learned the fact that Ginny's perfume lasted throughout an entire battle. Can I get what perfume she's wearing? Because I can't get a single perfume to last that long. I didn't put any on today.
0: I was going to say because I can't smell.
1: I didn't put any on today. Sorry. I didn't either. Oh. But yeah, like, I know you can't smell your own perfume a lot of the time because you get used to it. But Harry's like, oh, he only recognise it was Ginny because the flowery smell. I'm like, it's like two o'clock in the morning and she's fought in a battle. Is her perfume really still on? Maybe that's just her natural Do you think whiff. she, 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 <laughs> she sweats flowers? Yes. Great. She's that perfect. Yes. She's just like that girl. Yeah, she really is. She's Barbie. Yeah, she's never had a yeast infection in her life. Ginny confirms that nobody else is dead and then Harry goes and then Ginny's like oh but Bill and Harry's like what and Ginny's like oh he's like really injured don't worry he's not dead and Harry goes are you sure? like I don't know yeah maybe Ginny hasn't actually checked whether her brother is alive or not like <laughs> what do you mean
0: are you sure? she's like, like oh fuck yeah I forgot yeah actually, actually, now he actually did die.
1: yeah oh yeah. now you've said are you sure I've realised my brother is in fact dead yeah but Bill's not dead he was attacked by greyback and his face is unrecognizably torn up. Which, like, I really don't think the films did a good job of. They just kind of put, like, two lines down his face and he was like, greyback! Yeah. Which they also didn't show it in the sixth film, so what was the fucking point of putting that in? Yeah. But, like, the books describe him as looking like Mad-Eye Moody, like, flaps of his face fucking hanging off. Poor Bill. Yeah. Like, proper mangled. The others, again, this made... Me question how Ginny knew to go out to the grounds to find Harry because they go to the hospital wing where everyone is gathered around Bill's bed and none of them know that Dumbledore is dead. Like this is news to all of them. And I really like Ron in this moment. Like we've brought up a lot how Dumbledore is like obviously extremely manipulative and like whether that's for the good or not he just is of the people around him. And Ron is standing there going, Where's Dumbledore? I need him here now. It is his fault. Bill is mangled. It was on Dumbledore's yeah. order. So bring him here now to help. Mm. Like, and I like that fight from Ron that he doesn't idealize Dumbledore in the same yeah. way Harry does. In this moment, he's like, He told my brother to fight, so he can fucking come here and sort it out. Mm.
0: It is kind of wild that clearly, like, Ginny knew what had happened to her brother. And she's like, I'm just going to go on a walk and find my boyfriend. Like,
1: Bitch, how codependent are you? Like, Yeah, presumably she was just going on a walk and kind of followed the stream of people out to the front. I feel like you wouldn't just go on a walk when
0: your brother was I don't know,
1: sometimes you need, like, different people react to things in different ways. Sometimes you're like, I need air. And then she was like, where's everyone going? I feel like it is a bit confusing. I feel like she was looking for Harry. I don't know, yeah. I mean, everyone's just like, oh, there he is. Like, yeah, actually, did you not wonder where he'd gone? He could be, like, dead in the grounds. to be fair. (laughs) Harry then has to explain what happened and he's starting to explain everything when he stops because a phoenix begins to sing. And I love the words, own... Um, his own grief turned magically to song. It's Mm. very beautiful and like a, a good way of writing about when your grief is encapsulated in a song and sometimes you can't, like sometimes grief can be so strong you can't articulate it and then you hear a piece of music or a song or a poem or some form of medium and you're like, oh okay, other people have experienced this and this is how it feels from an outside perspective.
0: Do you think Misu will sing when you die? Uh, yes exactly that wow. i think todd will beatbox
1: realistically both cats if we died alone in the house would just munch on our dead bodies because that's what cats do
0: i mean tro- todd tries to when i'm still alive mm-hmm. so. and
1: todd tries to do it to me as well yeah,
0: yeah. todd Ta- mm-hmm. really hated hannah last time he saw her
1: todd hissed at me yeah many
0: times and he doesn't really hiss I hate the Fantastic Beasts films for a lot of reasons, but they've really just made me not able to take the Phoenix thing seriously. Yeah. The whole, Phoenix is fine, Dumbledore's. I'm like, in a way, I, I can't articulate why, but just something
1: about that being a thing kind of ruins it for me. I prefer it when it's just like, see, uh, that hadn't crossed my mind. So could you please stop ruining things for me by bringing in Fantastic Beasts lore?
0: Sorry, it's not
1: canon. No, I know, but like, it just
0: I prefer it when it's like, he was just a good pet and a good owner, yeah. and this is just him honoring him, as opposed to it being like, uh, phoenixes have this weird obsession with this one random family for some reason
1: this is a phoenix finding a dumbledore oh yeah 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 yeah. no it it, yeah i hadn't thought of that and now it's yeah i hate that because like yeah we know that dumbledore is like canonically like 150 years old it hasn't been said in the book how long forks has been with him but obviously it's implied like a very very long time and something i had never considered until kind of I guess the first time I read this chapter, and every time I read this chapter since, is how heartbreaking it must be to be a phoenix because you can love an owner and be so loyal to an owner, but you will always outlive your owner. Because I suppose what's the every time the phoenix is reborn, it's always forks, right? So that implies it's always the same animal, it always has the same memories, characteristics, and personality. So a phoenix will see every owner it ever has die, knowing that it will always outlive them. Yeah. And that's really heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, and they probably don't have, like, a great concept of death either. They're probably like, mate, we're, what? What? Why don't you
1: just <laughs> come back? What?
0: Come back, dude. You've been a bit dramatic. Just burst out as a baby again. <laughs> like, I know you fell out a window, but, like, get over it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wonder what their concept is of death, or whether they're so wise they kind of know that it's one of those things which like i've never understood why in twilight it is seen as a good thing to be immortal like all the characters we care about become immortal immortality sounds like the worst thing i can ever imagine yeah even if most people you love are also immortal Mm. god i couldn't stand to be immortal like yeah i i don't i wouldn't want it but like I don't
0: hate the interpretation like in Sarah J. Mass's novels where it's like they can be killed, but it's just that they, you know, they don't get to like 90 and go from old age. Like, yeah. I quite like that as a thing. Like, they can die, but like they just don't have like the human lifespan.
1: But I suppose that's technically what it is in Twilight. Like, a vampire can be killed. Yeah.
0: But like, I hate this idea of like whenever it's in something where it's like they literally cannot die, I'm like, okay, so like. In billions of years or whatever when like the universe doesn't exist or something, are you just like a conscience just like floating about. Like that's fucking torture. But like... that's why
1: that's why I've always liked Phoenixes because I think there is this element of sadness to them. Like I think they're portrayed quite well as an incredible but sad creature whereas i never understand fantasy novels that use human mortality human immortality as a goal
0: yeah name of the wind spoilers if you care skip a few seconds ahead but um and this is kind of like super explicitly like said but it's kind of what you add up and stuff but there's like a character in that that's like i mean they're not like a character such as more like a figure that's like talked about in stories and stuff and the story behind the character is that they like had this you know epic love of their life she became ill he tried to make himself so powerful to save her couldn't save her but at that point had become so powerful that he could not die Mm. and now he's like the big villain because Mm. he's basically just trying to Destroy the world because he's like, This is the only way I can die if I just like destroy everything because he's so like, mm. does not want to be alive anymore. I don't know, it's more interesting to be like things and people
1: that are immortal. I feel like at some point that would turn you insane. Yeah. You couldn't see the amount of horrors that the world has to offer forever and ever mm. and ever. You just couldn't. And also, humanity. And even if it's a fantasy world, because it happens in fantasy worlds as well, making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Like, the only one of the only reasons that the horrible things that humanity does is almost copable is because it's new humans doing it every time. We never learn. But if you're immortal and you're just seeing them do it over and over again, there's no way you could live with that knowledge. Like, immortality is a sad concept, so I find it strange when fantasy novels treat it. Like, I like what you're saying about Name of the Wind because that is a good reason to be a villain, I think. If you're trapped as immortal, that's a great reason to be a villain. Yeah. Whereas, like... Yeah, I feel like some fantasy novels treat it as, like, it's great because you get to spend eternity with the person you love. I'm like, no! There's not a good reason to be alive forever. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. And also, I do really like the, the, the concept... Not the concept, but it's written about a lot. There's this one line that I read in a poem once that was, life has a uh, skin of death that keeps its zest, which essentially means that... It's the same thing that's in Medium all the time, that life, often, you only appreciate everything about it because we are aware of our own mortality. Which, yeah, I agree. Like, how can you almost enjoy everything if you think you're going to live forever?
0: Yeah, it's the same thing as, like you don't appreciate being happy if you're not sad.
1: Yes, precisely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. actually, as I said that, I was thinking of that line in Doctor Who. It's where the Daleks are saying something like, you are weak because you know sadness. And the Doctor's like, that's what makes humans human. That's what makes them beautiful. So yeah, it's that thing of, you cannot appreciate something unless you have the Mm. opposite. So you cannot appreciate life if you're not going to die.
0: Yeah. We rarely reference Doctor Who, considering we both love it.
1: Yeah, I think it's because we both love it, but we love a certain era of it and haven't... Mm. I mean, you did a rewatch recently. I haven't in a long time. Yeah, But I'm very excited for the new season. Same. I, I'm almost too excited. I really need to temper it and be like, it might not be great. I think it's going to be. And I love Shooty Gatwa. I just love him. I loved yeah. him in Barbie. <laughs> yeah. Although seeing him in Barbie dancing and then like seeing him in Doctor Who, like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just so excited. Yeah. McGonagall enters. I didn't need to say it like that. McGonagall enters the room. (laughs) And I really love how she is immediately in charge. She already has control enough of her grief to know that the school is her responsibility and the pupils are her responsibility. And this is something I adore about McGonagall. And that I think is I associate with women a lot. And maybe it's just because of different things I've experienced. But to me it's an almost universal experience, but I could be wrong about that. Of women often have to control their grief in order to take charge of a situation. And I've seen that over and over again. And I do think it's a very female trait of going, I will grieve later when I am alone. I have to be in charge of this situation. Yeah. Mm. Which is sad that it's put on women, but I love it for McGonagall in this moment. Because at the end of the day, she is in charge of a thousand pupils and she does have to do this in this moment. Yeah.
0: I think it also makes it extra sad then when we kind of get to the next book and it's like she's no longer in charge. Like she's I had that taken right? away from her. Oh, yeah. And I think especially it's not something that massively upset me growing up reading it, but now as like a uh, older woman that's been in the workforce and it's like. That classic thing that I think most women know that have been in the workforce, where it's like, you've been responsible for something, and you've been doing a job anyway, and yada, yada, yada. And you've maybe even been, you know, like the, you know, because she's like the deputy head. (laughs) Right. you've, (laughs) You've been like the deputy, and then it ends up just like being given to someone else or whatever. Yeah. When it's like I was doing it anyway, I was next in line or like any of those number of things or like I headed up this project and then all of a sudden it's been given to someone else. Yeah. like, Like I literally had a thing at the last company where I worked that I came up with this idea to have an internship program for people from underprivileged backgrounds Mm. it was my idea like i pitched it to the founder and got the approval blah 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 started up these like meetings and then this other girl literally was like steamrolling blah 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 and then she started putting in the meetings and uninvited me from meetings and i was so done at that point with the company that i was like i'm not gonna fight for this but in the end like she literally at some point i was like hold on like what's ha- like and I just all of a sudden was like I think I've been uninvited from these meetings and I was like this is my project my idea and someone else has just come along and uninvited me from the meetings yeah and then she got like all of the credit and stuff and I was like this was literally my idea that I pitched and then someone else has just
1: yeah it's, it's happening to me at the moment and I'm trying to navigate a situation where I stay very involved in it because I can tell it's trying to be taken off me because it's such a good idea. And I'm like, okay, okay, I need to, I need to work out a way to very politely make sure I am kept in the project because it was my idea. I know yeah. I was the one that came up with it. So, yeah. And then because it was such a big idea, like while I was on annual leave, it got taken above my head. And I was like, okay, fair enough, because it is like a big thing. I need to be kept in and everything. Mm. And it is hard to navigate that kind of situation. And this actually, like, I had this thought when I was reading this chapter because I thought about the next year when McGonagall is obviously superseded by Snape. And my initial thought was, God, why didn't she quit? And the answer is obvious because she had to protect the pupils because the pupils come first. And this is why McGonagall is one of the best characters in Harry Potter because you know like this would have hurt her so much but it doesn't matter even if she got relegated to fucking caretakers she is staying at that school she would stay underground in that school she would stay as a cat amongst the other cats in that school to yes. make sure every last pupil was safe but yeah she's just oh she's I love mother her. and also and that is epitomized also all of this in this moment as well and epitomizes a lot of other themes of this chapter where she walks in and says harry And it's the first time she's ever used his first name because in this moment, Harry is not a student. He is an equal. He is in the battle with them. He is a member of the Order of the Phoenix. And he is not a child. And like her using Harry just epitomizes that. These like whole chunk chunks of chapters have
0: so much like signalling the end of childhood and yada yada yada. And this is like a
1: big one. Yeah. I love it. I just Oh, I love it and it's such a symbol of like respect from her as well because although like obviously Dumbledore has been like obviously like the biggest character ever throughout the books like McGonagall has been there since the first book as such a prominent figure in Harry's life and he has such deep respect for her and oh I just I love it and I love the way that comes full circle in book seven with one of the only times he uses an unforgivable curse to defend her oh I just love McGonagall yeah
0: I am always a sucker for any character that like doesn't have parents and finding the parental figures and I just I'm
1: a sucker for it I just love it as
0: a plot line yeah
1: and I'm also a sucker for the extremely stern but fair woman who has an absolute heart of gold yeah yeah, lo- like, love it. Love it. Love McGonagall. So the order of the phoenix are all completely shocked about Snape. McGonagall for all her strength actually has to sit down, have a chair put under her, she almost collapses. Lupin is outraged because not that all of them trusted Snape, they actually don't have a hard time believing that he did it. All of them trusted Dumbledore to the mm. point where if Dumbledore trusted Snape, they believed it. But they yeah. they come round to it rather quickly. But it's because they believe Dumbledore, not Snape. And therefore it paints Dumbledore as the fool. And that's really sad because whatever you can throw at Dumbledore, he was not the fool in this situation. He was in control to the end. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think I've got multiple references and one of them I can't remember, but another would be Succession in terms of telling the story of like getting to a certain age and having people think that you are the fool that you've like lost your wits and lost your judgment and definitely one of them is succession but there's also another example that's escaping me but yeah i think that it's especially when you're someone that has had their career and their reputation built around being very intelligent Mm there's kind of nothing worse than oh God, getting yeah. to the point where it's like, people think I'm an old fool. And the fact that Dumbledore was willing, he knew that people would think that he was a fool when Snape unalived him. And he was willing to have his like entire legacy repu- reputation, like his life, his life's work come down to, oh, he, he was he an old the fool wrong that person, trusted, yeah. you know, someone it, that he wouldn't give up why he trusted Snape, even though a bullshit reason. And that he was willing to do it just so that Draco would maintain his innocence. I know he's a great character, but this is like one of those good moments of Dumbledore. Because yeah. that's like, the that's his life work,
1: his entire it. It's an entire lack of ego. There's, there's not a shred of ego there. He, yeah, he does. His own legacy does not matter to him. All that matters to him is defeating Voldemort. But in the same way as Harry, it's defeating Voldemort where the individual matters. And I think this comes back around in the next chapter where it's so poignant that Harry asks about Stan Shunpike to the Minister of Magic. And again, Dumbledore is obsessed with saving. Draco, one child, one person. But they, Harry and Dumbledore both think the same way, that one person epitomises a system. So although Dumbledore is a greater good character, he, yeah, ruins his entire reputation mm. for Draco.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, on the note that you said about ego, I think that Dumbledore's had no, like regard for his own ego since the whole Grindelwald thing i think that for him was like became a point where he was like i'm not a person that like has this level of like judgment and greatness and blah 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 and like from now on like my entire life kind of needs to be repen- re- repenting for these mistakes that i made yeah. and i think that this def- definitely contributes to him willingly going to his death knowing he'd look at it because he's still trying to make up for the mistakes of his youth yeah yeah
1: which i mean fucking more people should be like that yeah and the thing is like when you look back that he did make massive this yeah yeah it makes sense he does why why he did that but he's also regarded as the most powerful wizard in the in the world and that he still doesn't ever let that get to him yeah like yeah Yeah.
0: Everyone's kind of blaming themselves about Snape, which I I mentioned last episode about the whole, like, Neville kind of said. Like, Neville was clearly the only one that was a bit like, oh, like, I should have stopped him. Whereas everyone else was like, oh, we just didn't know.
1: Yeah. And, like, yeah, it's... I think it's very accurate that everyone blames themselves because, and it's also like everyone is going through the stages of grief at the moment and one of the stages of grief is like blame. That is a Mm. common stage of grief. So everyone's going through that. But Harry is also, everyone's going through that because Harry has taken on the role of, interrogator and i think again it shows how much he is no longer a child in that he is interrogating mcgonagall he is standing and mcgonagall is sitting collapsed in a chair and he is like what happened tell me what happened tonight and then he goes around the room he's looping what happened uh, hermione what happened ron what happened and is interrogating each person not in an aggressive way where he's blaming harry never blames anyone because at the end of the day he blames himself the most but in the way where he has to understand how this happened yeah i think it's also a case
0: of like hindsight is 50 50 where it, the moment they're like okay snape's a bad guy all of them are like of course he was a fucking bad guy like all of the signs were there yeah and the only reason none of them like thought that he was was because of their faith in dumbledore yeah and then the moment that faith in him is destroyed by this idea that he was a silly old fool that trusted the wrong man it immediately makes them like, but the signs were there. We shouldn't have just taken this silly old man's word for it. And it it says a lot about the fact that their view of Dumbledore changes in this moment that kind of gives them that like, but of course, like, we should have seen it.
1: Yeah, especially because the only reason Harry... Because... It's shown that even McGonagall and Lupin, who in this situation we kind of view as Dumbledore's most trusted seconds, I guess. Like, Kingsley should also be in that list, but he's not in the room at the moment. Do not know, are never told why Dumbledore trusts Snape. And Harry actually has more information, even though it's the incorrect information. He says, oh, I know. It's because Snape regretted giving the name of my parents. And that's the only information he can give and they're all like that's a really flimsy reason that's nothing i thought it would be more than that and it is a really flimsy reason because it's not the final reason the final reason is also fucking flimsy but like whatever let's pretend for a moment that the final reason isn't flimsy what harry says is fucking like uh, yeah it makes dumbledore seem like an idiot because it's it's no way near good enough and harry presents it as This is the reason Dumbledore told me. Yeah. So yeah, they piece together the story of what happened uh, with Harry interrogating each person in turn. Um, so Malfoy got past the DA with the Hand of Glory. Hermione and Luna let Snape go because they needed to help Flitwick. And none of them made mistakes. They only made mistakes in hindsight. Ron is like, I messed up. How did he mess up? It, it, he didn't know Draco yeah. would have the Hand of Glory. There was, And he was like, I couldn't fire a spell because I'd risk injuring someone. That's smart. Yeah, you're not going to fire a spell into a completely pitch black corridor. You're not going to injure your own people. And yes, Hermione and Luna were guarding Snape, but Lupin points out that if they had tried to stop Snape, stop Snape he would have murdered them, which he wouldn't have done. I don't know. Snape's grey enough that maybe he would have. Mm. Like, all of them are blaming themselves, but none of them actually did anything wrong. It's just all of their actions combined did yeah. cause the situation. Then Mr. and Mrs. Weasley and Fleur come in. They must get so sick Sick of the hospital wing. (laughs) Fucking
0: again. Really? But it's Bill. Why is it Bill this time? (laughs) I thought he left school. I know we can't really keep track of our children, but I'm pretty sure he left school. I'm
1: pretty sure. Like, let me just, oh yeah, wait, no, that one left. Yep, 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 yep. Mrs. Weezy begins dabbing Bill's face. Dabbing. (laughs) I'm just dabbing.
0: We're so cool and down with the kids.
1: Mrs. Weezy begins dabbing Bill's face. and she says something which I think from an outside perspective like seems selfish but I do think it's the kind of thing that you say in a moment of grief and horror which is it shouldn't matter but he was so handsome he was such a handsome boy and the thing is I can understand her reaction because when trauma happens like the weirdest things come to Mm. the surface and I understand this is her going I don't know how to process what is in front of me
0: yeah I also think it's just a very mother of a certain era thing to say. Yeah. Like, but I mean, at least it's said about man because I feel like this is the kind of thing that would normally be directed at a woman.
1: Yes, I am glad it's about a man. I think you're right. This whole next section with Miss Sweezy and Fleur is very of its time feminism. And mm. by that, I mean, I think we're going to criticize it because if it was to be printed now, it's it's really not that feminist. It's about like, oh, a woman has finally proved herself to be a good woman because she's seen past the looks of a man. However, when this was printed in the time it was printed and knowing J.K. Rowling's politics, it was deemed as like, oh, but this woman is good because girl power in this moment. Yeah. Like it, it's oh. very of its... <laughs> it's very of its time feminism this next section i think yeah
0: and i think it's also sexist in that it's like this woman is attractive therefore she must be shallow and then it's trying to be like Ooh, but she's not actually shallow and it's like
1: she was never shallow okay. she was a fucking tri-wizard champion
0: this might sound like a really random comparison but it's like
1: you know susan boyle I do know Susan Boyle. Who,
0: for anyone...
1: Not British. I don't think she ever (laughs) left the British sphere of things. So it
0: was this thing, like, back in the 2000s when, like, X Factor or it might be Britain's Got Talent was all the rage. But this woman called Susan Boyle auditioned for one of these shows where, like... the. Typical thing is, it's either, like, really amazing people or it's these really, like, delusional people that think that they're, like, amazing singers aren't. aren't. And the thing was, is that she was a woman of a certain age who was, like, classically, like, unattractive. So, and it's so bizarre to look back on now but everyone fully went into watching this like she's not attractive therefore she's got to be one of the these delusional weirdos well it's also the way they framed
1: it so like the the framing of this show was always the same the delusional people would come on and the music would start which you knew meant they were Mm. going to be bad and there would be laugh tracks and there would be people giggling but a lot of it was just Oh, Does, she's
0: not attractive, and yeah. therefore she must be, you know.
1: Yeah, but uh, the the audience reaction was always cut in. That's not real, so they cut in audience reaction of her of people being like, hmm, yeah, hmm, so that you would be tricked in this moment into being like, yeah.
0: But it was this really just weird thing where, as a country, we were like. Well, she's fugly, so she's going to be shit. It's like your physical appearance has absolutely nothing to do with your ability to sing.
1: But but all humans have a bias bias towards any physical appearance meaning yeah. that we're better at things. Yeah. Like like you uh, it's been proven time and time and again that it doesn't matter what it is singing science like academia anything i mean yeah pretty privilege is a thing yeah but anyway so then
0: obviously it turns out that she's this like fucking incredible singer but like i kind of can't remember where my point was going with this now but like this kind of just reminded me a bit of this of like you have preconceptions about someone because of the way that they look yeah, it's just a bit, like, it's not really feminist to be like, oh, the plot twist here is that the pretty girl isn't shallow. It's like, that. no, that's that's not feminist. That's sexist.
1: <laughs> like- yeah, because also, Fleur has proved again and again and again that she isn't shallow and she is brave. She was a triwizard tournament. She advocated for, like, for Victor and for Cedric during the final task when they were, like, taken down. She, um... She left her family at home so that she could learn English and then got involved with someone who was part of the Order of the Phoenix, so got involved with someone fully knowing they were in the resistance against Voldemort. She has done nothing to ever prove she isn't brave, but because she's stereotypically pretty, and a lot of the women in this series are not, because that's how J.K. Rowling likes to view people she's viewed as oh well she must be a bit dim and only obsessed with looks because bill's really handsome and that's why she's chosen him and i mean it's that that
0: classic thing of when you're a woman you have to be attractive enough to be taken seriously but if you're too attractive you're not taken seriously yeah exactly on that note
1: i'm gonna make my drink yay so i invented this before i read that it had to be song specific so this is a fearless era drink but i suppose we could call it a fearless drink and i was going for just kind of throwback i i'm 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 I more went with vibes rather than direct things so this cocktail has in it lemon juice white rum apple cider bitters maple syrup and i just wanted it to feel like taylor swift's old country style stuff and i felt like maple syrup and cider just felt very like american country girl yeah so i just wanted to kind of have the feeling of like country taylor vibes and also the color is fearless Nice color cheers Cheers.
0: oh that is lovely i just love lemon it's very lemony oh but i can taste oh i'm getting the cider and the maple yeah so what is in this
1: i just read it out didn't listen really nice yeah i really like it it is giving me the kind of vibe i was going for like Mm. still a country artist maybe the first drink you have bit complicated for first drink
0: but you know no it's really nice i love anything lemony so
1: and i put it in a brown glass as well so it's very fearless era country taylor vibes i also tried to do a curl of lemon on the side but i don't know how to make it curly So yeah, in this not very feminist, old feminism moment, Miss Sweezy is dabbing at Bill's face, lamenting that, oh, he was so handsome, it doesn't matter. And he was going to get married. Mm. And Fleur fires into a rage.
0: I'm so glad she finally stands up for herself. I'm really glad. This
1: family has been shitting all over yeah. her. As much
0: as I love Mrs. Weasley, she is that stereotypical
1: nightmare mother-in-law. Literally, she is being like every stereotype ever. And it's like and yes, for protectiveness, but Fleur has done nothing wrong. Well, she's being a bit
0: rude at times, but she's just French.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she has been rude. She was really rude about Christina Warbeck who Mrs. Weasley really likes. Yeah. But, but
0: she doesn't deserve like this level of... She's got to break the engagement because he's got scars. Like,
1: Yeah, yeah. And like, maybe Mrs. Weezy was thinking like, oh, he'll be too injured for the fact the wedding's in a month or two. But like, it isn't what she means. No. So Fleur's like, what do you mean? Of course we're going to get married. Why would this change everything? And I love the fact that she's confident enough to say, I am good looking enough for both of us. Why does it matter? I'm yeah. like, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Of mm-hmm. course you are. And Mrs. Weezy finally offers the olive branch to Fleur by saying when Fleur says this and grabs the ointment off her and takes over Miss Weasley says oh we've got a beautiful tiara in the family I think you should wear it and then they're all confused when the two of them start hugging I'm like how did you not see that was the olive branch that was the moment like Harry's like what the fuck I'm like men are dumb men are dumb I'm literally like well that was very clearly like hey okay we're doing this yeah
0: and Um. then I hate it
1: then <laughs> it's Tonks, so out of nowhere it's so out of nowhere i expected more build-up rereading it
0: <sighs>
1: uh. it's like
0: as jarring as it was in the film thing is when you watch the film it's literally like you've been punched around the face and you're like huh and then it's somehow just as bad in
1: the book like and it- also Tom's there's a really rude thing to do in this family moment to go see see, see? i'm like not now togs not now so yeah, it's also not the same situation no, it not So Tongs is like, see, she loves him. It's the same. So, right, what I couldn't wrap my head around as a child, because maybe I was being dumb, is the fact that this conversation makes zero sense. And what I understand as an adult is, clearly this conversation makes sense in the context that they clearly had something happen. They were together for a bit. They had sex, something. And then he broke it off yeah. when it got serious. Otherwise, this conversation makes this conversation makes zero sense if they haven't been in some sort of relationship situation yeah. already. Like, yeah. it just doesn't. Yeah. That's the only explanation. And I didn't really get that as a child. <sighs> yeah, it just... Also, everyone knows <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Weezy are giving their opinions. I'm like, this is so unsubtle. Yeah.
0: It, like, I am... And I never was any kind of marauder ship or anything like that i don't know how i didn't see it but like i just didn't see it originally so this is not coming from some biased like thing of like oh uh, like really wanting lupin to be gay and whatnot but i just it feels like the opposite of only gays in the village in that it's like what are the only two it's like she's clearly had this reaction where she doesn't like the shipping doesn't want him to be gay blah 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 and has gone Who is the only remotely age appropriate, but not really, woman that's single? Uh, Tonks. Because I'm sorry, what do these characters have in common? Like, both fighting
1: Voldemort?
0: Like, that's it. We don't see them interact. We didn't even know that they knew each other prior
1: to this conversation. Like, no, that was the thing. This would make so much more sense if it clearly wasn't added into this book last minute. If in book five, we had seen some flood, flirt- Because also, the only way the timelines make sense is if this fling that I mentioned, this something happened during book five. So for that setup to be there, we needed some sort of flirty banter in book yeah. five. We need a little bit of something that or so even, this makes sense. even have the bit at the
0: end when they're in the ministry, something about Lupin jumping in front to save her, yeah, jumping being in front to over save protective, something like that. But it just comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And it feels like... They have so little in common, and there's just like, it's just like, huh? What? That it's, it just feels like she was like, shit, what hetero couple, you know, can I make? And yeah, it just feels like the opposite of only gays in the village.
1: And also, she's very aware that this is a weird couple because textually, Lupin says, I'm too old for you. So she's about 23, I think, and he's about 39, I think.
0: Yeah. Which is. Not the world's most horrendous. It's it's not the world's most
1: horrendous thing. I'm
0: I'm fine with it. If it's not these two. (laughs) Yeah, I would be fine with it if they literally had anything in common or we'd ever seen them talk to each other before. But it's just weird when you're not given anything else to support it that I'm like, I don't buy that someone that's 23 is going to have something in common with a 40-year-old if you've not
1: shown me it. The only other it's to force two people who were coded as homosexual thing. The, the other reason I can give that she did this is because she realized she wanted a plotline in book seven where Harry is godfather for the massive parallels, which does become an important part of book seven. Yeah. Of the parallels of Teddy not having parents, Harry being the godfather, things like that. And I, I do really like that part not it being like Tonks and Lupin's baby because that bit gets even more messier but Harry having this responsibility of being a godparent the massive parallels there how he sees himself as reckless how much he knows he needs to be there for Teddy I do like that part and it's like there's no one el- it kind of has to be Lupin because there's no one else who would name Harry as godparent Feel so it. that's another reason why it's Feel forced they would not name Harry. He's got so many brothers. Why would he name Harry as godparents? Fleur saved her sister. Oh, that's a good point, And yeah. like,
0: I don't know. You don't make siblings godparents. Some people do. I don't know. I don't I'm know. i not
1: christened. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, neither am I. But like, I don't know. You have I, godparents, don't you? Unofficially. Oh. It's not like know. an actual... They're just like... The same when your parents' friends are your aunt and uncles, but... Oh, okay. Not, I don't like, have
1: godparents, so no. I, I don't really know
0: yeah your siblings are already there aunt and uncles
1: right okay godparents aren't normally family okay fair I, enough so yeah i could be it, wrong about that it, but. it could be bill and fleur's baby i think but yeah i think she'd realized there needed to be a baby in book seven to kind of raise the stakes and that could be another explanation for it but it's still not it's still not good enough to not have the setup in book five if you're gonna do it it's so jarring yeah it's, it's so jarring it's so bad and also
0: i'm sorry he's gay she's a lesbian it's so clear like tonks is not straight I'm sorry. It's just, ugh. it feels like we've missed a scene where they both get forced to go to like
1: conversion therapy. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it just, it. I almost expected it to feel less jarring than I was expecting. Cause I was like, maybe we've overhyped this. And I literally turned the page this morning. I was reading the chapter and I was like, nope, that's jarring. Jesus yep. Christ. What is going on? Yep. So McGonagall asked to speak to Harry in, her office she's like come to my office um before this hagrid had to
0: move dumbledore's body i'm sorry but like mm-hmm. that's horrible and also could
1: they not have just no floated it i'll talk about this in the next chapter i find it really fucking weird that the dead body's being carried down the aisle not in a coffin yeah um, can you imagine that a normal funeral for a second there's a reason why we use coffins it also then becomes a matter
0: of what speed is appropriate (laughs) because too slow weird too fast
1: wee yeah it's just (laughs) (laughs) also <laughs> no. yeah are you just picking hagrid because he's strong because he's he's very emotional right now it's like it's a lot of responsibility to put on him
0: and like i know we then get the parallel on the next book when he thinks he's holding harry's but but i'm just like i feel like there were other ways to smooth the body that didn't involve poor hagrid
1: i know Ah, i'm so traumatized <sighs> right now on the topic of dumbledore's body Harry walks into the uh, office. Body odd yoddy. Body odd yoddy. Harry walks into the office and he's like, oh, it looks the same. I almost expected something to be different. Like black veils or Dumbledore's body in there. I was like, sorry. One of your thought processes was, what if his body is just laying on the desk? (laughs) They're actually just doing weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) Honestly, I was like, what? Why would you why would you think that? I mean, where have they put the body? That is a question, but it's not just going to be lying on his desk, is it? I mean, I can totally buy.
0: You know how like cruise ships have to have morgues because
1: all cruise ships have morgues. Yes,
0: I think obviously Hogwarts would like they lose like dozens of students
1: a year. Yeah, there's definitely. There's got to be somewhere
0: for the body. Yeah, Hogwarts has a morgue. Did a house elf hang the portrait?
1: Because magically hung itself. Did it? Yes. Did it? Yes. I, just, I wonder when they pose for them. Yeah. How long into your, is it as soon as you become headmaster, you get it painted? And I would assume so in case again, you every drop ten dead ten Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It has to be up to date. So yeah. Mm. But like, I don't know. I kind of love
0: the idea of like the house elves having some little alarm. Like, Oh, Dumbledore's dead. Get, Let me get the portrait get out. Get the portrait <laughs> out. Get the hammer and the nail. And, boom, boom, boom. and also,
1: yeah, cause it must've happened almost instant- instantaneously. It's been what, an hour two and the portrait's up. They're fucking on it. Tell you what kind of annoys me in this chapter is the portrait is very asleep. Okay? And we we hear not a peep out the portrait. Not a single peep. And in the next book, the portrait becomes so sentient that it is instructing people left, right, and center. Which, A, I don't think a portrait should be doing. A portrait... Okay, so yes, it's a capture of the person in life and Dumbledore had a lot of information. But in my opinion, in book seven, the portrait is too sentient. It's yes. giving too many instructions. Yes. So why in this book, if it is going to be that sentient, in book seven, is it just like, I'm just going to sleep through this conversation. I don't fucking care.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's the, the portrait thing is like a
1: can of worms. It's it's a huge can. It's book seven that ruins it. I was pretty happy up until book seven with how the portraits work. (sighs) Yeah, it's just, there's so many of these cases of
0: JK Rowling's world building where she opens a can of worm without doing the work to be like, okay, if I'm gonna have time travel or these portraits, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That I need to define at least in my own head for the sake of consistency. Because I get you don't have to literally spell out all of the possible law and rules and stuff. But she quite obviously has so many of these things where she hasn't worked it out for herself, so can't like keep it straight within the narrative. And this is one of those things I'm like, if if you're gonna put this in there you need to define it sorry what i got distracted by was so neil and hannah have this like art that's like a a record made of words it's neil's not
1: mine and i don't take responsibility for sharing this with him
0: okay and then um i just my eyes fell on it and because it's a bit far away i just completely there's a bit where it's like it's got two separate words yeet and huge that have ended up next to each other but because i'm a bit far away i i read it as
1: huge teat (laughs) and i was like (laughs) see what you're reading yeah i was like uh uh um (laughs) so this was made by a friend of neil's i could get up and show it to you but i'm not going to because i can't be bothered this was made by a friend of neil's and it is a collection of things he says a lot which my favorite bit is the massive bit that says ask me anything about eggs Yes. Um, so yeah, it's a collection of things he says a lot, especially in university. So mm. from here, I can read... Ask-
0: he's, he's not changed. He's not I changed. I just say.
1: Sure, Jan. Big sad. Ask me anything about eggs. Fancy the pub. I, I cannot, cannot stress, stress this, this enough. enough. <laughs> Yeet. Brilliant. Huge. And then there's all sorts of other things on there.
0: Yeah. Including huge teat.
1: <laughs> huge teat. <laughs> but yeah, it's not normally where it is. So Charlie's eyes have been drawn to it. But yeah, it's... Uh, the portraits up until the end of this book have felt somewhat like how I can understand them in that the way they are... They don't seem sentient enough for me to feel super sorry for them. They seem like a cartoon like a game a game thing where it's got a set amount of lines do you know what i mean like obviously they have emotions the fat lady got scared but it's exactly it's like a magic eight ball like it's got a limited amount of emotions and reactions and then in book seven we get double fucking portrait telling everyone to do everything it cries at harry like no you've ruined it right at the end you've made it too sentient
0: yeah it's like kind of how i think it should be is that it has the personality of the person and obviously like enough contextual memories to not be like hey who the fuck are you but yeah. like it shouldn't be like and here is the deepest law no you know? no like, it,
1: it should be like a magic eight ball like kind of like if you took a photo of someone and had to write down their top four personalities traits.
0: If you had to make a piece of art of the common things that they say.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's how the portrait should work. And it does... It is kind of like that up until book seven. And it annoys me when yeah. she just... And the reason why she does it is because she couldn't work out any other way to do all the plot stuff she needed to do. I'm and now that pisses me off. Just picturing a
0: portrait of Neil going, Sure, Jan. Ask me Eat. anything about eggs. Brilliant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's kind of like a parrot that can only say, uh, can't parrots only say 40 words?
0: We have always had this running joke in my family that when my mum dies we're just going to replace her with like a tape recording of herself because honest god she's got about 40 things that she just says on loop and every now and then we kind of think of another like it will she'll say or one of
1: us will say it and then we're like that's another for the tape recording what what makes me laugh about your parents and I'm sure it's the same with all parents I've just spent the most time with your parents in the last few years recently, is they both have very distinct ways of saying your name that are very easy to do impersonations of.
0: Go on then, I'm curious. Your dad is always like, Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs)
1: He sounds so disapproving. He is all the time. He's trying to, not disapproving. He's trying to explain things to you all the time. <laughs> oh, he
0: did a great one. Oh, what did he, he rang me the other day and said something so fucking
1: obvious. And your mum goes, Charlie.
0: Yeah, she does do that. My dad is like the worst explainer. Like he, je- I don't understand.
1: I don't his think he knows, knows of, he's doing it. I don't think he no, knows he's doing it. No, he doesn't, but like, it.
0: it's just his view of me. He explains things so simple that it's like how to breathe oxygen. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't understand how you think that I've like gotten to this point point i can't think of the one that he did the other day but like two like relatively recent ones the other day i was asking him how he's got like a weird barbecue that's like more of a grill thing and it's like gas powered so i was like dad like um will you show me how this works and he was like Yes. so um never turn it on inside and i'm like what "What you think (laughs) is wrong with me i'm not gonna lie to barbecue inside (laughs) and then the best one genuinely the best one that i think he's ever done is he gets a bit anxious when i'm travel alone even though i'm 28 and he always likes to ring me before i'm like going through the airport and stuff to like make sure i know what i'm doing and i'm happy to humor him but he rang me at one point and he was like yeah so when you go through passport control they'll want to know your last name that's ward <laughs> This was only about a year ago. I was like, I know, because he'd done it in front of me when we've on holiday (laughs) together. I'm like, I'm 28. I know my last name. (laughs) Why don't you think I know my last name? (laughs) That's very sweet. It is. It's really sweet. Like, he doesn't mean it, but like, it's just like, I just, how do you think I survive? (laughs) So yeah, McGonnie is like. (laughs)
1: McGonnie!
0: Yeah. is like, uh, yo, Harry, what were you two up to? And Harry's like, sozbrav, not going to tell you. Yeah. So is this she... is word
1: for word. It is. So she reverts to calling him Potter because of this. Which I thought had threefold reasons. Oh god. One. Yes, we're all hyping the fact that she calls him Harry throughout this chapter. But as a first time reader, you don't actually notice until she says Potter. Because of the way you read, you wouldn't notice that sort of thing. So it shows you that for the, the rest of this chapter, she's been calling him Harry. Two. Why did I write one and two is the same? Two. She's also trying to regain power in this situation because Harry for most of the chapter, has been kind of one-upping the power on everyone else. She's like, what were you doing? What were you doing? I'll tell you the information. So Mm. she's trying to assert some power back in the situation. But three, I also think it shows that Harry is actually being childish in this situation. So she's reverting to using the name she calls him as a pupil because he's following Dumbledore's instructions to a pig-headed level, in my opinion. Mm. Like... Yes, Dumbledore said don't tell anyone. But Harry, until right at the end of book seven, doesn't really question, and I don't think really throughout the books that he can make his own decisions that do not revolve around what Dumbledore laid out for him. And I think that Harry comes to the realization that Dumbledore never did, that he can trust people and he does have a better, a really good judgment of people and and should let people in. Like the kind of whole Harry's side of the battle is kind of meant to be this, this coming together of misfits and miscreants and, and the people at the fringes of society who Voldemort can never represent that, harry can implicitly trust because they're never going to go over to the dark side because they never can be on the dark side and i think that we are shown that dumbledore's failings is not sharing enough information around like we can view it as a good thing but at the end of the day harry loses faith in dumbledore halfway through book seven because he was constantly keeping his cars too close to the chest and i think harry is being almost childish in this chapter for not analyzing his reason for not wanting to tell people. He's only yeah. going off Dumbledore's orders. I
0: think in some ways I disagree with mm. you. I do agree that Harry should really have a moment to be like, hey, I can I can probably tell McGonagall. Obviously, he needs to make sure it is McGonagall first. Yeah.
1: Or also maybe I should think about if I can tell McGonagall and decide that for myself yeah
0: but I don't think I agree with the rest of what you say like one yeah like there are some of them that are like the outcasts who would never go to the dark side but for the most part like you know it's not the most diverse set of books mm. and there's a lot of them that are like pure or half-bloods that are you know white human beings etc cetera, etc cetera, so that could and I also think that I've always considered it a massive shame that Harry doesn't get betrayed by someone mm. purely in terms of. I think the uh, reoccurring theme that we see throughout the book is Harry having this like complete blind faith in his friends, in the mm. same way that James did, and James then got betrayed. betrayed. Yeah, and I just it's it's not necessarily that I think it's a shame. It's that I truly believe that this is a dropped plot because. I just think there's a lot of foreshadowing for it. And yeah, I think it would have been an interesting element to have to have that kind of like full circle, it mirroring his father, you know, these themes of Harry being blindly trusting and Dumbledore trying to encourage him not to be and stuff. And it just feels a bit, I guess, anticlimactic Mm. in a way.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. I think it could have been a very interesting element of the story. I think what I want isn't done to the extent I want it, which is that still at the end of book seven, Dumbledore's plan is revealed as being perfect. And Harry never really works it out and thinks for himself. And Mm. what I want is, although Dumbledore, you know, did have everything figured out, once he's dead, it has to fall with Harry. And if he wants to change the way it's done that's his decision. Yeah. And, and he should feel the freedom to do that because although he is Dumbledore's man through and through, he is his own person who can yeah. make his own decisions. Like,
0: I think we've had this conversation before. I mean, once again, it's J.K. Rowling not really wrapping up the shit that she starts but about how Harry starts to have this crisis of, I didn't know things about him and he lied to me and he manipulated me only for that to literally not come to her head. Yeah. It's just like, okay, all's, all's forgiven and that's fine. I just followed his path. It would have been interesting to see... I guess the final result be a version of Dumbledore's plan but not exact and that like it the differentiation being Harry slightly taking it in a different direction yeah and it's still working out but Harry actually being like you know what Dumbledore didn't know everything he didn't trust me with these things and you know I can make my own decisions and maybe he does it in a slightly different way than Dumbledore intended maybe the good point for that would have been the deathly hallows because of how dumbledore kind of added it in in this like last minute not very well thought out thing Mm. and whilst i do really like what happens obviously with the wand it's really really smart and it's like a make or break moment it would have been i think that would have been the interesting one for harry to make the judgment call against what dumbledore wanted yeah as much as i do like the whole wand ownership thing yeah yeah I'm kind of waffling at this point but yeah it would have been interesting to see Harry maybe getting betrayed and also Harry deviating from the narrative that Dumbledore because yeah she just sets up a lot of like a lot of foreshadowing that Harry will get portrayed as well as a lot of I was halfway through I mean I, I was almost at the end so I'm not going to finish my point because I was pretty much talking
1: in circles and then the camera cut out. When do we not talk in circles? So the other heads of houses come in and they discuss closing the school next year, which how would that help? I it's, explain to me how that would help. It's such
0: an overreaction. You don't close the only school in the country That's, it's the only
1: school <laughs> Because the headmaster died. And also it's like, well, you know, will the pupils want to come back? Uh okay, one Yes, they can be homeschooled, but yes, some of them will. Two, it's the only school in the country. How are they going to take their exams? Like, yeah, they could take them privately at home. But three, as Hagrid points out, through his metaphor of his own life, this is the only home for a lot of pupils. It is a boarding school. And all the muggle- What about the muggle-born children? Like, yeah, they're not allowed in next year. Let's just disregard what Voldemort does next year. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yes,
0: it makes- no sense. So, like, what? the school's not shut when other headmasters have died.
1: Like, what, what the fuck are you like, on oh, about? A teacher murdered another teacher. Okay, so you're still the only school, and like, yeah. okay, so let's just say you close next year, right? And let's just say, okay, because next year Voldemort doesn't educate all the Muggleborns. So yes, there's an entire year group of Muggleborns who will have to start school age twelve. Fine, that happens anyway. But let's say you do it without it being Voldemort's reign. So what? None of those Muggleborns get their letter. And what, do you, does that just mean they never find out they're wizard? Or do you then invite them to come a year older? Like, that's, you, the system breaks down where you're the only school in the country. It's
0: ridiculous. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry, but Snape ejaculated slughorn. <laughs> never a good enough reason to say ejaculated.
1: Snape! Snape! McGonagall's then like, we'll send them all home tomorrow. And Harry's like, what about the funeral? Which, like, okay, yeah, it is a bit weird that the funeral's taking place on school grounds, but this I can get over. Like, fair enough. <sighs> he gave his life to the school, whatever. So yeah. Harry is the one that convinced them all that the school should stay open until the funeral. Yes. Because they should be allowed to grieve, say their goodbyes. And it's, it's again showing the adultness of this that Harry's allowed to stay for the conversation to give mm. his opinion along with the other heads of houses. And it's his opinion that ends up being yeah.
0: the right one. Especially when we've had this reoccurring thing of him being cut out of the conversations. And then now he's being allowed in. And again, the loss of childhood, yada, yada, yeah, yada,
1: yada, yada. Like the thing is, it should never be a shock in the next chapter when Harry says he's not coming back. Like,
0: mm.
1: I think it was a shock the first time I read it because this is all subtext and i was like however old and didn't understand subtext but reading it back it's just so obvious he's gonna say he's not gonna come back yeah. to school. it's so obvious this is his final time in hogwarts yeah yeah also to add to that because harry also says the students should be allowed to stay so he sees himself as outside the students In referring to them as the students mm. he doesn't see himself as a member of them anymore which also adds to that so harry goes back to the common room i don't know why i always do this and it's bustling with people it's really busy Uh, but harry notices that dean and seamus are down there he hopes and is right about the fact that when he goes up to his dormitory it is only ron there and i just love this like ron knows what harry needs in this moment which is Mm. he's not going to greet him at the door it's the quiet of just just them two in the dormitory Mm
0: -hmm. and ron
1: just sits there and waits for harry to speak like okay then um, yeah. I find it surprising that Hermione isn't up there, though, knowing that she can get into the boys' dormitories. Was she just like, Yeah, I'm going to bed. Like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. She's probably with Ginny, presumably. Harry tells Ron that the locket is fake. And then Harry notices that Fawkes is no longer singing and has left the grounds forever. And Rip. Harry sees that as a symbol for his own aloneness. So sad. Too bad, so sad that was dramatic I know I like to be dramatic (sighs) do you want to ask me a question
0: how much wood would the woodchucker chuck -chuck if the woodchucker could chuck wood 10,000
1: chucks cool great Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram.
0: We also have
1: a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Yolanda, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Patrick, Michael, Kylie, Cara and Molly, Jasmine, Florian, Ashling, and
0: Ash.